You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? On tonight's episode of the Mitch and Rick Show, we are going to continue our discussion of Oscar-nominated films for the year 2021, or I guess technically they're for the year 2020, uh, the, the, the award ceremonies in 2021. Uh, but we're going to talk, talk about Minari. Richard, uh, how did you feel about Minari coming out without t- getting too deep into it? Uh, I liked it. Um it's I, I guess it's not exactly what I was uh anticipating, but weirdly that kinda seems to be a common trend for me with the last three movies. Uh, I'm not really sure why that is, but yeah, it was a little different. But I, I, I enjoyed it overall. What about you? Uh I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it overall. Uh I, I definitely yeah, I enjoyed it and we'll we'll get more into that after we talk about some movie news, movie adjacent news. Uh, because there's stuff happening and we like to talk about it. So first thing I wanted to talk about was Mads Mikkelsen has been added to the cast of Indiana Jones five. Uh, last week we talked about fever, Phoebe Waller bridge being added to the sequel. How do you feel about Mads Mikkelsen? Like he definitely shows up in a lot of things that we like. Yeah, no, I I think he is uh, absolutely phenomenal. Did they um, did they? Because I know with uh, the was it Phoebe Waller, um, we talked about that I think last show, and they didn't they didn't really announce that uh, she had joined the cast, but they didn't announce the part. So did they announce what part he is going to be playing in the in the movie? No, I don't believe so. I don't I don't see it here anywhere. Um yeah uh i think they just like to keep those kind of things secret until it shows up like i i don't know i i would assume that he would be some kind of compatriot to uh indiana jones or maybe even a uh a, a protagonist yeah i either way i'm totally on board i like i said i really enjoy watching his performances and his characterizations and things like that so i'm actually pretty stoked about that i think that's a great choice um you know he can play a good protagonist he can play a good villain or antagonist if you will so i like i haven't seen him do anything that i didn't like so i'm totally stoked for this 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 is already sounds like it's shaping up to be a pretty interesting uh indiana jones project so i'm getting more and more reservedly getting more and more excited i'm I'm trying to keep the hype under control because i don't want to get disappointed too much but uh it's starting to sound like a pretty good uh excursion for the film i hope did i say protagonist earlier i meant to say you did (laughs) i know you know what i meant i just don't want other people to think i'm a dumb dumb (laughs) well but i mean i think the situation is is that based on what they did with the last one i mean there was kind of two protagonists in the last uh, crystal skull film so i mean i could see it trying to go that same way and if they're trying to find a character to uh do some spinoff movies and things like that like i could i could kind of see them having like this you know, archaeologist, uh, archaeologist rivalry between the two of them and like, you know, competing for the same thing, but both not be bad guys per se. You know what I mean? So I like, and you know, if they did a spinoff thing with Mads, I'd be on board for that too. 
Oh, that's a good call. I didn't even think about that. Um, sure. Yeah. Give me give me the Mads Mikkelsen spinoff archaeologist show, uh, however that ends up being. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I am stoked for it, uh, for this movie to see w- what it is that comes out of it, uh, whether or not this is the end of the Indiana Jones uh, saga, at least with for Harrison Ford or not. Uh, what, where they go forward with this or sideways if they do spinoffs. So there you go. Interest, interesting decisions. Interesting decisions made by top men. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix is making a live action Gundam movie uh, from uh, Jordan Vaught Roberts. Now, we didn't talk about Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, on this podcast, but uh, I mean, going back to Pacific Rim, I get, I feel like we're definitely in the realm of giant robots fighting kaiju's uh, kind of era. I, I, maybe it's even Transformers. I guess I'm not really all that familiar with the Mobile Wing Gundam like property IP. Um, so, how do you feel? And I don't know if you are, but how do you feel about a live action Gundam movie made, being made at Netflix. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you like I I really am not um you know, I'm not really super familiar with the Gundam uh, animes or mangas or any of that sort of stuff. I I guess what I do kind of I think have the understanding of and I could be wrong in this, but I think you kind of spoke to it. I think it does seem a little bit like Pacific Rim, right? Like it's supposed to be people getting in these mechs and fighting, you know, kaiju monsters and things like that. So I'm always down for that. Like I always, you know, I'll at least watch it to give it a shot. Right. It's the same thing with all the monster movies and things like that that come out. Um, Obviously some of the Pacific room movies were better than the other ones, of course, but uh, I mean, I'm totally always excited to watch them. I think there's usually at least a few interesting action sequences and those uh, types of properties and things like that. So I'm, definitely on board to see what they do with it uh especially the choice of taking something that's animated into live action and a property that traditionally has a pretty big fan base to it from what i understand so they are going to have to do you know they're going to have to do some due diligence to kind of appease those fans but i'm very curious to see what they're going to do with it yeah no i'm 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 i think i'm in for watching it too i think uh i'm definitely uh, interested. Uh, he Jordan Vaught Roberts also directed Kong Skull Island, and of the recent Kong Godzilla movies, that was probably my favorite. I liked, I enjoyed Kong Skull Island a lot. Um, other works of his: The Kings of Summer, uh, a bunch of episodes of You're the Worst. Apparently, he's also announced for doing the Metal Gear Solid movie. Let's hmm. uh, uh, see, Single Dads was a TV show. A bunch of episodes of Funnier Died Presents. Uh, Nick Offerman, American Ham. I'm guessing that's oh, some kind of documentary. How do you feel about Jordan Bot Roberts? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't recall being as big of a fan of uh, Kong School Island as as you are, but um, I mean, I also don't think it was like terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't remember talking that badly about that movie. I don't, I don't recall like loving it, loving it, but. Um, again, it's Metal Gear Solid, so I'm in instantly because I do really love Hideo Kojima and I really do love, uh, that 
that kind of franchise. Uh, it's I guess it's a little interesting to me though because like Hideo Kojima has wanted to be a film director like his entire life, uh, even before he became you know uh, a game developer, and so obviously there's probably still some bad blood between him and Konami, uh, you know, with all the stuff that went on there. So I'm sure that they're probably not chomping at the bit to let him direct. Uh, and I guess in some capacities, he also doesn't have any real established history as a film director, but it would have been really cool to see like a Metal Gear Solid movie directed by Hideo Kojima. But that being said, I mean, I kind of understand why it's also not happening that way. And I, I'm definitely on board to watch the movie. Um, I, I guess I haven't seen a ton of, uh, you know, the director's work. Cause I mean, I think, Kong School Island was kind of the bigger one out of all of them that I've I've watched but that's not a bad thing I mean hopefully you know hopefully he does a great job and uh, that's again that's going to be a very hard uh, intellectual property to get right because there's a lot of really interesting crazy things that are done in the games that are maybe a little bit more challenging to transition into a live action uh, film and it's one of those kind of beloved game franchises. So again, um, it's going to be difficult to kind of appease everyone. But I applaud him for taking on the challenge of giving it a go. Yeah. No, uh, I think it's going to be... I think that it's an interesting choice uh, for him to direct it. Uh, the writer of, of the movie is also is a name that I'm very familiar with, Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, now, for... TV wise, he's he's written. Um, he ri- he wrote for uh, Lost. He has uh, a series for Why the Last Man, a, a comic book that he created coming out. Uh, he created Runaways, and they have uh, TV episodes of that. Uh, Paper Girls is co- is on its way out, and that was also a comic book uh, comic book property. But uh, as for comic books, like. Like I said, um, Why the Last Man, he's written Swamp Thing, Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, uh, you know, all the big ones. I think the the, uh, the X-Men, uh, the big, the one that most people know him for as of right now is Saga. And if you're not, if you haven't read Saga, like you're missing out. It's a, it's a great, great book uh, over at Image. Um, I know people have talked about making that into a live action thing and and most other people talk about like there's no possible way you can make that into a live action thing like it just wouldn't look right uh and i i think i i think that is something that can't quite be adapted right so i can't wait to see what brian brian k vaughn has to do with the with the property yeah and i mean uh i agree i think uh i haven't finished you know saga and i'm not super up to date on it but i did start reading it and uh, i yeah i agree it's a really fantastic book um why the last man standing again it's been a good while since i've i've read that but i remember it being a very interesting concept at the time and also again a very good read so yeah i think that's pretty exciting be very curious to see how that kind of pans out from the writing aspect as well okay uh netflix i don't know yeah they don't have a release date for that yet so obviously they haven't started production however netflix has scored a deal with Sony Pictures. So Sony has inked a multi-year exclusive first pay window licensing deal in the U.S. that will allow Netflix first pay window rights to Sony Pictures titles following their theatrical and home entertainment windows. Uh, so as I understand that, it means that 
the movies that will be coming out uh, next year, like uh, Morbius and Uncharted, will, after their theatrical run and their video on demand or premium video on demand runs, uh, they will be exclusive to Netflix. So you won't see them on like HBO or Amazon Prime for not being paid for kind of thing. Uh, I mean, this is an interesting deal. Uh, how how do you think feel about this for the movie industry? Well, okay, I probably should know this, but uh, I don't off the top of my head. Sony doesn't have their own streaming platform, right? Like they don't have their own streaming service. That is correct. Unlike Disney Universe, uh, NBC Universal, and Viacom CBS, Sony not- notably has not launched a direct to consumer streaming service to compete with Netflix yet. Uh, they, I mean, Disney has all their Disney movies going straight to Disney Plus. Uh, NBC Universal now has Peacock, um, and Viacom has Paramount Plus. So, and then of course Warner Warner Brothers has uh, HBO Plus or HBO Max. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, I think from that perspective, I like this approach more because this is, you know, I I like them kind of having the option to go to these other streaming platforms instead of just being like, well, we're going to fabricate our own because that's one less thing I have to subscribe to, (laughs) Uh, which I think is smart. I don't, I genuinely don't think every individual like studio or, you know, production company or whatever, you know, needs to have their own streaming platform. Like I think we've kind of already reached a pretty good, you know, spectrum of streaming platforms. Like I feel like we could just call it a day, you know, and not continue to just be like, oh, we got to have our own too. Like it's getting so it's getting so crazy. So uh, from that standpoint, I think that's a really good deal. And, you know, it gets tricky, too, for, I guess, Sony to kind of navigate all of that, because in some capacities, they, you know, they are competing against these other studios and things like that. So, you know, in some ways, they are still kind of competing against Netflix because Netflix, of course, is producing their own content. But in other ways, it's not the same. I would I would speculate as to how they're competing against maybe like Warner Brothers or Paramount or whatever, you know. So I guess from that standpoint, you know, Netflix does kind of seem to be a, a much, you know, much more viable option. Um and, you know, again, you know, Sony makes a lot of electronics and so does Apple. So, again, it's kind of like doesn't seem to make as much sense for them to try to go to Apple. I mean, I guess maybe Amazon, you know, um, could have been a choice there as well. And and maybe it was. Maybe there was some, you know, behind the scenes conversations and negotiations that were happening and Netflix just came out on top. But um and, and, you know, again, Netflix is also the kind of the dominant market share still as well. I mean, they still have the largest viewership. Um, HBO Max is still, from what I understand of it, on the bottom of that in in a pretty substantial number. Uh, so, you know, I think it makes the most amount of sense for them to try to go to Netflix. And again, not having to pay to do another subscription platform to another streaming service. Like, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I think, I think you see that. Netflix definitely starts it off when they decided they wanted to do, or not when they decided, when they realized that TV series was a big thing. It wasn't just about movies anymore, right? Like Netflix started off with sending you the DVDs for movies, and then they were like sending the DVDs for TV series, basically anything that was on DVD. 
uh, then we got the streaming aspect of it. And I think they, everybody found out that, yeah, I just want to kind of stream these TV series that I like to watch over and over. Uh, then they started cre- making their original TV series. And that's when I feel like streaming really took a turn. Uh, even though HBO had already been doing, you know, original programming for a long time, now they're, you know, they have HBO Max. They have more shows that are available only on HBO Max. Uh, Amazon started doing more TV series. I mean, obviously they did it before HBO Max, but they they started doing original TV series after Netflix. Um, and then Hulu and all. You know, I feel like this the golden age of TV that we we're talking about, or even as you coined it the platinum age now uh has really changed it so that each one of these studios wants their own uh streaming platform because like if it was just movies still i think yes universal movies would be happy to just keep going to netflix or or amazon prime same with warner brothers but now when you have this opportunity for people to come back every week to watch something like a series that is ongoing they needed to backfill their their logs also, or their catalog, I should say, with uh, movies so that they keep people there after the series are done for whatever season. Uh, and and thus, we have all these. Now, that's not to say Sony also has Sony Television. So I don't know if they're making original programming for Sony Television or not, but they definitely have their original movies. But it, might, it must have been just more financially viable for them to sell the rights to Netflix instead of coming up with their own streaming platform. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to assume that it, it would be at some point, you know what I mean? Um, and again, just it's, I, I think it's also daunting to be like, well, we're going to try to start another whole platform and, you know, have all of the server space behind it, try to drive all these viewership and traffic to it. And so, I mean, I think it does become, a, a pretty big undertaking when you're, you know, committing to something like that. So yeah, I could see it being a lot more finite. And again, you know, yeah, do you have enough exclusive content to do it? You know, do you already have a lot of that content licensed out to other places? You know, like I feel like there's a whole list of other, you know, issues to kind of have to take on and tackle and logistics to kind of make that stuff work in a way that would be beneficial to them versus just being like, okay, well we can offload this stuff for a pretty good price to, you know, well, yeah, someone and else. Also, you look at Disney Plus. Disney Plus has uh, has all the Star Wars and Marvel stuff, right? They get to make all those TV series based off of that stuff. Uh, Paramount Plus now has all those has all Star Trek, and they're making all the TV shows based off of Star Trek. Uh, Warner Brothers has DC, if that's what you want to carry care about, but they also have, I don't know. Do they have Harry? Yeah, they have Harry Potter. They have they have other stuff that they they can make TV series off, TV series based off of. Um, but Sony, I I mean, I guess they they have Spider Man, and they the the plans seem to be making a whole bunch of different movies based off of Spider Man. But I don't hear anything about TV series based off of Spider Man. So maybe that's yeah, that's just what it was. Is just it was more viable to do it this way. I would also have to speculate to a certain extent that they probably don't have the rights to do a Spider-Man television show. I, I have a feeling they probably actually only have the rights for film. 
Mm, that 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 could be interesting. That could be something because I know like uh, Disney does their their animated TV series, and they do get to have Spider Man and all those characters. So maybe 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 you're right. I yeah, I mean I don't know for sure, but that would just be my my best guess. Now jumping over to Amazon Prime and uh, Prime Video, or even Am- Amazon Studios, whatever you want to call them <laughs> at this point, they do. They too, sorry, also own a huge franchise IP and they are making a TV series based off of it. I believe it was last year when it was announced that they paid, or it's last year or two years ago, they paid $250 million to secure the rights to make Lord of the Rings TV series. Well, apparently it's being reported that they have invested on top of that $465 million for just the first season. I feel like, I mean, I get it. Lord of the Rings has been around for a century. Like, people love that franchise, love that IP. Uh, those first three movies did all the money. Uh, I don't know about the the second set of Hobbit movies, like the three Hobbit movies, if they did all the money or not. But how do you, are you a big Lord of the, Lord of the Rings fan? Are you going to watch this series? I mean, yeah, I'll probably watch it. I, I, you know, I've definitely seen the movies a number of times. I like the movies. Um, being, you know, kind of wicked dyslexic, I have not sat down and read the eighty thousand page novels that exist. Um, I guess I should maybe try to go back and do like audiobooks of them or something if I have time. But I, I you know, I really enjoy the movies. Um, I haven't watched the Hobbit ones again. I, I, I heard they were not that great and uh i think a lot of people were upset that they took this a single book and then tried to stretch it into three films and and that capacity just didn't work i guess or that's kind of what i had heard uh so i haven't seen that but i mean yeah the the peter jackson lord of the ring uh you know original trilogy that he did i i really enjoyed those i could see it you know again uh some people might not be aware of this but i, I remember reading or hearing that uh hbo spent like 10 million dollars on just one scene of game of thrones so when you start thinking of like an entire first episode for a very fantasy driven kind of period piece like it's going to be very expensive like if if you're gonna try to do it justice uh you know what i mean like it's gonna be expensive so the price tag on that's not really that jarring to me uh it's just i guess gonna be interesting to see how they utilize that and how much of that actually ends up on screen as as you know you're watching it but um, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I gotta imagine that first season at the most is going to be ten episodes. If it ends up being more, I'm going to be surprised. But if you break that yeah. down, that's forty five million dollars an episode. That's that's a lot of money, man. That's. I remember there was a time when like people were talking about uh, what was it? What was it? Fast Lane? Fast Lane? And of course, this is. This is late '90s, early 2000s, right? This this show about two cops that are very uh, not fancy, but uh, uh, dressed real outrageous, or any, however you want it. it. It was Bill Bellamy and oh, I can't. Paul? Paul? Is it Paul? No. What is that guy's name? He was in Can Hardly Wait, and he was the father in the Twilight movies, like the vampire father. Peter Facinelli. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and Tiffany Amber Thiessen was also in the show. And, like, they were cops, undercover cops all the time. And, it, like, the, out, at the time, I think that was, like, a, a million-dollar episode 
show and that it got canceled after the first season because like you're just spending way too much money i mean i know we're 20 years later and inflation whatever and and tv is a big business now but like 45 million dollars an episode there's it's got to have all the cg it's got to have huge battle scenes because that 10 million dollar episode or scene that you're talking about i believe is the battle of the bastards episode of game of thrones mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's that was a huge scene uh, if yeah. you're spending quadruple that an episode in this show, it's, it's gotta, it's, I mean, it's gotta look amazing. I mean, again, I think that would be the hope. And, you know, again, I'm not really shocked by this. To me, this just is another showcase of how important exclusivity and how important having that content on their platforms is to keeping their platforms continually moving forward in a viable uh, way, right? Um, because, you know, House of Cards, it's not even that old in comparison to Fastlane, which you were just talking about, right? right. And House of Cards, I believe, was uh, around $10 million an episode. So, Really? Yeah, so from what I understand, I could be, I could be mistaken on that, but I, from what I recall, I remember... For some reason, I distinctly remember reading about that and being like, wow, that seems like such a grotesque uh, <laughs> number for a, a single episode. But Especially then you're like, with well, that CGI, it's all that has to be like everybody's salary. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's salary, but there's also a lot of logistics and other things that have to go into it. But I mean, when you think about it that way and you're like, OK, well, if House of Cards doesn't really have a lot of this stuff and it's about 10 million per episode, it it becomes pretty easy to see why 40 45 million dollars an episode for 10 episodes isn't really that outrageous when you have all of these actors all of these crazy location uh you know props wardrobe cgi like that money is going to dry up very quickly and so i you know that's what i mean like for me at least i i just really don't find that that shocking anymore you know what good i'm glad you don't but i do (laughs) Uh, now i guess the caveat to that if it comes out and it just looks like garbage and (laughs) uh doesn't do well then yeah it's gonna be like where did that money go but for right now i'm gonna be reserved and say i'm i'm not the least bit shocked by that at this point but if you also paid 250 million just for the rights and you're paying 456 million for the first season, you're really banking on people who are going to enjoy this so that you have multiple seasons of the show, right? Like otherwise that's got to be a huge loss. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I obviously I think that that would be anyone's uh mindset and attempt whether or not it's going to translate to that or not. We'll see, you know, I mean, um was a Disney spent 250 million on John Carter, I believe. And it was a complete, you know, crap show in terms of the return. So, it, you know, I'm not saying that the movie is good or bad. I'm just saying in terms of their investment, right. Uh, that did not pan out the way that they wanted to. So it can happen, but yes, I believe that the mindset and the hope would be, yes, we're investing a huge chunk of money into this. And again, investing in uh, acquiring the rights for Lord of the Rings. Uh, you think about, you know, how many books there are, how, how, you know, how long those books are. I mean, yeah, you could potentially set this up. And, and especially if you're doing 10 episodes at an hour apiece, um, you know, that's only 10 hours of content. So, you know, realistically, I mean, you could very easily get five, six or more seasons out of that. And that's, you know, before even looking at something like what you were talking about with like The Hobbit and things like that. And so, you know, I think, 
I think the $250 million upfront investment of acquiring the rights, it, again, is not as surprising to me. Because like you said, like Lord of the Rings has become massively iconic and it's it's obviously has a, a staying power that it's been so relevant since it's been written. So, you know, that, again, to me, isn't too shocking. But I, I agree. I think if you are investing that much just to get the rights, you're going to have to, I would hope at least, you would have to have a pretty solid plan of what you were going to do with that and how you were going to get some sort of return of investment on that, because you're right. That is a pretty, it's a pretty large uh, sum of money to just jump into something that, you know, could fail. Yeah. I, it's, it, I mean, I get what you're saying and I I totally understand that it it not being a a shocking number uh, anymore. It's just, and 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 I guess you kind of brought me around to that, like it not being that shocking. It's just wow. Just it seems like a lot of money. It's <laughs> well, think about it. Think about it this way, though, too, right? I mean, um, Disney, uh, and I think it was what uh, in game they spent five hundred million for two hours of entertainment. Well, in game is not two hours. It's it's three hours. <laughs> Okay, but either way, either way, you know what I mean? They spent a billion dollars on two films. So, I mean, realistically, you know, if you're spending half that amount, you know, on 10 episodes, like, I don't think that that's that unreasonable. That's fair. That's fair. I I, I get that. But I guess it's the return effect uh the 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 amount of money they're getting off of it seems uh not more reasonable but uh like more prevalent seeing as how you know a movie ticket gets you is going to be what 10 to 20 dollars right so every person that went and saw it gets gets to has to pay for that whereas and then they eventually get home box office and uh, rentals and sales and all that stuff Whereas this is being an Amazon thing, like the measurement of it is how many people decide to uh, get a membership to Prime Video and then also how it affects people staying on Prime Video that are already on there, right? Like, because advertisement doesn't really play into into this. Like, you're not going to get anybody drinking a Pepsi can in the middle of Lord of the Rings. Well, no, I mean, that's that's definitely true. But I mean, I think the other kind of major, major difference is, you know, when you have a company whose bread and butter is not media production, um, that certainly opens the door for them to be able to take extreme risks and not really care whether it pays off or not. Right. So if you had a company that was just a standalone production company, yeah, they need that to go and be successful and all that, right? So that's one thing. I think the other thing, too, is, I mean, when you stop and think about the traditional distribution platform, you know, somebody might go watch a movie once, so there's one sales ticket, that person may or may not buy it, you know, all that sort of stuff. But when you have something like these streaming services, everyone is paying for that content, whether they use it or not. So it's kind of like the same principle as like a lot of gym memberships. There's tons of people that have gym memberships that never show up never go to the gym and that gym is just draining the well of money from these people and really when you stop and think about like all the streaming platforms they're kind of in the same boat because whether you watch it or not you're still paying for that movie like they're still drawing continuous generated revenue every single month from all of these people so 
they don't they also don't need it to perform in the same way that they might have needed it to perform 20 years ago right yeah so i think that has a pretty significant amount to do with it as well because you're right it becomes so much harder to quantify the actual success of something because yes you might see a spike or an increase of new memberships around that content but how are you measuring retention from that content how are you you know measuring all that sort of stuff right because is it one of those things where it's like oh well this person watched part of it but they never got rid of their membership but their membership came in at this time but then you have this other person that's had a membership for like five years but then they've watched the show like 10 times so you know, again, I think it just becomes a totally different numbers game as to and and I'm sure they have access to incredible analytic data and what people are doing on their platforms. Um, you know, so, I mean, I'm not uh, too shocked by that. Uh, the other thing that I've heard, which I think this is kind of interesting, is that there are like companies that are now like watching you watch their movies via like cameras. So like stuff on like your smartphones like smart TVs that have cameras and things like that. Like they're actually watching like facial expressions and things like that. And now I guess they're getting into a pretty good arena of being able to calculate your emotional responses to characters and to the shows. And so we're, I think walking down a a pathway of eventually uh, studios knowing what someone wants based on how they're watching it and maybe just killing the main character off and going with a background character because every time that character comes on screen, everyone comes like more interested in the show. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, big data and analytical data is going to, I think start playing a larger and larger and larger role in how a lot of these shows are, you know, quantified as returns of investment and things like that as well. Okay. All right. That's it for the news. Let's get into talking about Minari. Uh, This is an Oscar nominated film for, the year 2020, um, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, also written by Lee, Lee Isaac Chung, starring Steven Yeun. Uh, I think most people know him uh, as uh, Glenn from The Walking Dead. I will. I had a hard time separating him from that character watching this movie. Um, and, and now he's also the voice of of uh, Mark Grayson in Invincible. Yeah, uh, if you're watching that on on. Uh, prime video what was that can we talk about that real quick sure just because i think you mentioned it uh on a couple episodes back like i think one or two episodes back and i think specifically you told me that i should watch it um and i think you said if you like really good voice cast you and everyone should watch it which uh i started the first i think i'm on the third episode um and i'm trying to go slow with it because i actually don't want to just like binge through it um so i won't give anything away uh, but I think you're absolutely right. I think everyone should go watch a show. But what I want to say is this. So I started watching the first episode and it's like going along and I'm like, okay, okay. Like, yeah, okay. Like normal, normal what you would expect <laughs> comic book hero stuff, right? So you're like, you're you're kind of going along with it. And, and I was like, all right, well, if this is all the show is, uh, I don't know. I'm probably not going to watch it right now. I would say the last like three minutes, <laughs> maybe minute and a half of the first episode, I was like, okay, now I'm in. You, you, now, now you have my attention. Uh, at first you had my interest, but now you have my attention because wow, wow. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it on that cliffhanger. And I, I agree with you. I think everyone should go check it out because uh, it's certainly 180'd on me very quickly. And I was like, okay. 
Uh, well, I just want you to know that you can't really binge the show because Amazon Prime releases it one episode at a time or one episode a week. Oh. Um, and yes, that's essentially what I tell everybody is that you have to make it through the first episode all the way to the very end uh, because after you get to the dirt, the, the mid credit scene, I guess if you, that's what you want to call it, uh, you'll know if whether or not this is a show for you or not a show for you. And yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. even that, I almost just like, I almost turned it off immediately. And then like when I hit the button, it still showed a pretty good gap of like stuff left in the first episode. And I was like, wait, so is that not over? And so I, I hit play and then that stuff happened. Like, and I was like, oh my God, I was like, I almost missed that. Like, so, so yes, do stay and make sure you're watching the entirety of, of the first episode. Cause it's, it does seem to kind of randomly just end out of nowhere. So something to be aware of. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear what you, what you have to say when you get to the more episodes. So, uh, however, in this movie, uh, Will Patton is also probably the only other recognizable, uh, for American audiences, uh, actor in this film, uh, which I love Will Patton, just about everything that I watch him in. Uh, obviously the first thing I remember him from is, uh, Armageddon. But, you know, he goes on to make other great movies like We Are the Titans um, or Remember the Titans. Sorry. And uh, I'm going to say Punisher. <laughs> like, I like Punisher. <laughs> nice. Uh, but he's, he's, he's got other great films under his under his belt, obviously. So what did you think of this cast? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I would certainly agree with you. I I. I didn't, I guess, have the same problem with Steven Yoon as you did. Like, I, for some reason, it was kind of very, um, it was very easy for me to let go of the Glenn thing for some reason. Um, I really like him as Glenn, though, and I, and I really enjoyed his character run on, uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, so I enjoyed watching him in this, and I thought his performance was wonderful. I thought he did a great job in this. Um, Will, Patton is also someone who I was I, I did not know he was in this movie and when he showed up I was like oh I love that guy he's great like so glad he's in this and his character as well uh, is a very very interesting character and so yeah I I, I have to say though um, I, I the little the actor who played the little boy David I guess his name is Alan S. Kim uh, to me, he kind of stole the show. Like he, uh, his performance. Like I don't know. I was just cracking up at that little kid. I thought he did such a great job. Um, but yeah, so I guess I would kind of be that for for the cast. I mean, we'll, I, we'll get a little bit more into the cast and story in a second. I get or the story, I guess, in a second because I had some issues with that. But yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you that uh, David, the character of David, steals the the steals the movie. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that his performance is great, but he he is, and he's a kid. Like I can't fault him for that. I you don't have great kid actors really, especially as young as him. But he does do an, a pretty good job. Like he's he he hits his his lines, his marks. You know, every, everything plays out well. What would you say this movie is about? I mean, I would say it's just kind of you know uh, the struggle of you know, trying to achieve a better life, you know, um, 
I guess you could say the American dream, but I don't think having a better life is the American dream. I, I think that's everyone's dream. Like, I don't think there's anyone that's like, oh, I want to have a worse life tomorrow. So, <laughs> like, I don't think that's uniquely an American thing. So, like, I personally have kind of a hard time, I guess, saying that. But, no, yeah, but it, it, to me, yeah, go ahead. Specifically, I think uh, what you're trying to, to sell as the American dream is something that we've always been told is, like, you know, you make the money that you need to make and then you go off and you make a life for yourself with that money. So like the the character uh, Stephen Yoon plays of um, Jacob. Jacob, sorry. Thank you. Uh, Jacob mm-hmm. and his wife, they, they were doing well enough in California um, in a chicken hatchery. And he, he, Jacob even became one of the fastest uh, gender uh, revealers of chickens, I guess. I don't know. The idea is that I think they were, I think they were, uh, inseminating them. They were, cause he, he kept referring to it as chicken sexting. So I think they were actually well, I, forcing them to do no, that. No, no, they weren't. Or were they just gendering them? Oh yeah. I think, I guess you're right because he, yeah. Cause no, no, you are right. Cause they were taking the female ones and they were sending them to egg, like egg farms. Yep. And then the male ones they were throwing in furnaces. So yeah, you you absolutely are correct. Yeah, you're, wait, you're I missed right. the whole furnace thing. They're throwing the male ones in the furnace. Yeah. So when he goes outside to have that conversation with his son David, when they first get to the chicken sexting place, and that's such a weird phrase to say, um, in Arkansas, uh, David goes up to the mom and is like, "What am I supposed to do?" And he's like, "Oh, I can take a break." And so he goes outside and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, and his son goes, "What's that?" And it's like the smoke coming out of the chimney, and he's like, "Oh." Like, that's the furnace. We throw the male chickens there because they're useless. And that's why you and I have to work hard and, and be useful. So he's like basically implying that, like, if if you don't produce money and take care of your family, that, like, you're going to be thrown in a furnace because they're useless. <laughs> so uh, we also have to say, uh, uh, as a little bit of tangent here, is that this movie is not fully in subtitle, but the, the main characters speak Korean most of the time because they are Korean. Um, and... I am a bad millennial American, however you want to say it. Uh, whereas I don't, for me, I personally don't care for, I don't care about subtitles. Like I, I like watching movies with subtitles. They, they, uh, I, I don't, it doesn't affect me in any way. However, I have now become trained to not keep my eyes on the TV screen. Like I might get distracted by my phone or whatever else is going on. So I will miss certain pieces of dialogue if it's in, uh, subtitled uh, like this movie is. So I must have looked away at that moment when they were talking about that, which I am greatly offended by. I'm sorry uh, to anybody that's listening to this. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that that extra part. But yes, uh, they you're are offended separate. that you missed it or you're offended that they were burning baby chicken, male I, baby chickens. I'm offended that I missed it. Like I'm oh, offended oh. that uh, I disrespected watching the movie in such a way. Um but yes, uh, they are separating the males and the females uh, so that the females can go off and be bred. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, one, one, I guess I just never thought of that being a, a human job to have to do of searching for chicken genitalia and then separating them. Uh, but I guess it has to get done. Uh, and so, so they were fat. He was fast and he made money. So he moved his family out to Arkansas so that they could buy a huge 50 acres of land so that he can then farm Korean vegetables. And then in his hope, sell these Korean vegetables to 
uh, Korean markets nearby in bigger cities. Uh, and so that they wouldn't have to get them all shipped from California and the vegetables would be more fruitful. Like, it's a good idea in theory. Like it, yes, if, uh, these markets will pay for the fresher vegetables, then he would be cornering that market. But, uh, come to find out it's not, it's not easy just to start up a farm. No, um, but he did it. I mean, he was successful. Like, I, I mean, that's, I, I don't know. This is where a lot of my issues, I guess, with the story and, and the movie kind of come about is because there's really not a lot of drama. Like, I guess, and that was on me. That was my expectation is like, I was really expecting this to be a very like heavily dramatic piece. And there really isn't a lot of drama until I would say maybe the last like 15 20 minutes there's a spike of it and then it kind of uh is resolved relatively quickly in some capacities i guess so i had a i I guess i kind of had an issue with that and then uh the the monica who is uh uh, jacob's wife i just really didn't understand her at all like she just i don't know it just seemed like she was so against everything and just so broken up over everything and just hated everything and i was like what is your problem like you know it sounds like she didn't really want to leave korea but then they had the whole conversation about how they were going to leave korea and save each other but then sounded like she hated california but then they moved to arkansas and then all of a sudden she loved california but hated arkansas and so like i don't know i just i really could not empathize with her character at all because i was like what the hell is your problem like you've got way more land than you could have ever gotten in california you're living in a has what has to be a better situation because again you know she also alludes to the fact that yes they were making money in california but they were not making enough so it's not like their situation got worse like it, it had to have gotten significantly better when they moved to arkansas i would i i mean i'm i'm guessing um you don't really ever see that, so I can't make a true direct comparison. But based on the conversations, I, I was just like, what so, is your problem? So what I think is, and this is my interpretation of it from a few lines of dialogue that we saw or that we yeah, we saw and we heard. Uh, Jacob at one point says, uh, you city people always you know we're always you're so bougie he says something to the fact that you, you don't think know you're there you think you're better better than so i think back in korea even though the two of them left korea together they were a young couple and they moved to they moved to the states to make a better life for themselves if that's the way you want to put it i think she was from the city in korea and he was from the country and like so he has this knowledge of how to farm uh but they have two different world views so then when he moves her out to arkansas in the middle of the country she is so now separated obviously in california she was separated from her homeland of korea and and, in not understanding stuff but now she's separated from a community of other koreans whereas here in this small town in arkansas there's i think the the other lady says there's about 12 of them maybe total and they don't want to start up a church because they moved away from bigger cities because they of the Korean churches that, that were there. Like they don't want to do that. So she doesn't have a community to relate to. Uh, and she is maybe more used to the luxuries that a, a bigger city would offer that Arkansas doesn't. They are super far away from everything. Uh, 
they are, you know, it's, 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 she has to work as well. And it's just, it's hard for her. Uh, it, it, she obviously gets happier once her mom comes to live with them. Uh, but that then it's, offers, it's, uh, offers it's up a whole new thing. Marginal though. Even like when her mom comes, it's so marginal. And like, even it's it just like, she was just doom and gloom the whole time. Cause even with like the kid's heart murmur, like it's getting better, but she only thought it was getting worse. And to me, it was like, that was like the biggest encapsulating characterization for her is that she just constantly thinks that everything is getting worse when in actuality, everything is getting better for them. And like, I don't know, just some of the comments that she would make to him. I'm like, do you, how, how can you even say that to him? Like this, you can tell very clearly that he is passionately trying to provide for all of you. And you're just constantly like, Oh, you don't care about this family and blah, blah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what is your problem? So I I don't know. I had a real issue with that. Like just getting empathized with her character. I I had, I couldn't do it. See, and that, and I think that's funny is that I feel that's where all the drama for this movie was, was with, was just in the two, their relationship with each other. Like, obviously they, they were in love with each other for the longest time, but, uh, maybe they based their relationship off the wrong thing and it, it didn't last, so to speak. And, uh, she calls him selfish for wanting to have a legacy and, and provide in this way as opposed to providing in a different way. Uh, yeah, they, they, as they've stated that they weren't making enough to live in California, but maybe if they lived in Arkansas, but like closer to the hatchery in a regular home instead of on a a whole bunch of acres. And then, you know, this also takes place in the eighties and, uh, Asian culture is usually very subservient to the male, uh, patriarchy of the family and stuff like that. It, it, I think there's a lot of things playing here with the immigrant story, the, you know, male versus female, the, uh, the drama of what happens when you fall out of love with the person that you, you've started a family with, like, and then it, in, in, it all encapsulates at the end with, you know, uh, the farm catching on fire. Like even that, like even that, like, and that's what I mean. Like I, there's like little sprinkles of drama, but there's no, in my opinion, there's no real strong drama because even that, right? Like they don't lose the whole farm. Mm. The, the, the crops don't burn. Their house doesn't burn. It's one tiny little shed that happened to have that recent harvest in it, but nothing else is gone. <laughs> but that like, recent harvest is what was going to start, set them up for the next season. Like what they sure, grew this but, season but, has to that, last for next season. Right. But that's, that's still not a make or break you thing. That's the, at least not the way that it's presented. It's, it's a setback. Sure. But it, that's not like a catastrophe. And that's my thing with all of this. Like, there's not really any like it's like a flat line of drama. There's no like actual like ebb and flow or like roller coaster ride that you go on with this. It's all just very tonal. And it's all like for me, at least it was very tonally the same. And I, I was just expecting something bigger to happen and like something so much worse to happen to these characters. And it never does. Like it never does. Like he's like, oh, well, there's not water. But then I'm like, OK, there's this whole fucking creek full of water <laughs> that you know about, that you've been told about, and you're never like, well, we can get water from there. You know what I mean? And there's this other like thing where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to just start jacking water from the city. And so he does it, and then it's like the water gets shut off, but the water's not really shut off. He's just redirected it, and then he doesn't redirect it to the house until the grandma has a stroke. 
So it's like none of these things are inherently like taken away from them. It's just bad decision making. And so to me, it's like they're just very like passive uh, protagonists. Like they're they're just kind of flowing down this lazy river. Like they're not really going on this like this dramatic journey through this story in my opinion and i and and i think that's on me because like that's i guess what i was expecting and it just isn't there Hmm. for me at least that's fair no that's that's hey that's exactly how you experience the movie uh so yeah with all this stuff that's going on between jacob and monica you kind of have this secondary battle that's going on between david and the grandma i don't know if they actually ever give her name or not uh i think the, i just called her grandma i don't ever remember her yeah they yeah well according to imdb her name was sunja uh but oh okay but yeah uh, you definitely hear them call her grandma more than anything else uh so david the youngest has to give up part of his room for grandma who comes to live with them uh she is but she sleeps on the floor he sleeps on the bed um it's it's kind of traditional in the Korean culture uh, as it, as so it speaks as, as so they say, um, but like he's never met her before. So he doesn't quite get around to liking her, but just through sheer playing with him and being around him. Cause that's why they brought her so that they could, she could watch them while the two of them, uh, Monica and Jacob are at work. Uh, there is a son and a daughter. Unfortunately, the daughter doesn't get a lot of screen time or or uh, um, characterization. Characterization. Thank you. Character yeah, building. Hardly at all. Yeah, hardly at all. But but at one point, <laughs> at one point, David pees into a cup and gives that to his grandma, and she drinks it, and uh, like he gets punished by his parents. Uh, especially by Jacob, uh, he's supposed to get hit with a with a switch, but he doesn't. He, the first switch breaks, and the second one is too thin, and Grandma lets him go, like with a, you know, you're a smart boy kind of thing. Uh, but their relationship the was like a piece of wheat. It like, yeah. wasn't even a switch. <laughs> it was, yeah, so so funny. Uh, but their their relationship gets better like she even like rocks him to sleep one night and unfortunately that night she ends up having a stroke in the middle of the night uh, and she doesn't die but she is now you know handicapped from uh this stroke as as many people become after uh, such a event uh so she is not as helpful around the house anymore but she still wants to be and as she's helping clean or helping, uh, you know, put things away, she eventually helps to uh, burn the trash. Uh, I guess there's no, I, I don't know how it works in the, out in the country. I don't know, uh, you know, how it works in Arkansas. But apparently, instead of having someone dump, pick up the trash or them dumping it somewhere, they burn their trash. And they happen to burn their trash a little too close to their shed where they are keeping their produce, as Richard uh, pointed out and uh she knocks over a piece of trash that's on fire which then catches the grass on fire which then crashes catches the shed on fire uh she is so distraught by this and and the fact that she is no longer able to really contribute to the family that she kind of starts to walk away walk off and like uh it's almost like she just wants to go die in the in the woods somewhere 
uh, but both the daughter and the son, David and see her, her name. I, I don't even know what her name is. Anne, David Anne. and Anne follow her in the in the rain, and it was raining, right? I don't think so. No, it was just. Okay. I think it was just night. Just it was night. Just late. Uh, follow her and uh, call out her name until the point where you know David stops her and makes sure that she doesn't go off and stays with the family. And I, I just have to say that I was ugly crying when it came to this part of the movie. I was devastated by just what was happening in this scene. Um, it was, it was very strange, and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I almost thought that that's where the movie was going to end because right before that, you have uh, Jacob and Monica having this discussion that. Monica was going to take the kids and go back to California and he was going to have to stay here and uh, they were going to break up like their family was going to split up. But afterwards, uh, you see, was it David and Jacob go out to the Minari uh, field where they where mm-hmm. the grandma had planted the, the, the weed out by the creek creek uh, and he explained that grandma did a good thing by, by planting it out here. Uh, and then you see that the whole family is there when they bring the water diviner guy back to find a place to make a new well so that the crops can grow. Um, I mean, I honestly, yeah, I honestly did not do not know anything about farming life in that way and, and, and how difficult I guess it could be to find water. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I, I, I yeah. guess I guess that 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 scene implies that the the family is staying together after this almost tragedy or semi tragedy, however you want to look at it. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It was crazy because, like, I I don't know. It's really hard because I feel like, you know, the the, the, the obviously uh, Jacob runs into the the shed as it's burning with the produce, and he starts trying to get the produce out and. You know, then, of course, uh, the wife runs in there, Monica, like she runs in there and she's trying to help him. And then she kind of starts like breathing in too much smoke and is like kind of collapsed on the ground a little bit. And so he grabs her and pulls her out. And then it's like it's kind of this moment where I don't know, it felt like she finally maybe realized that she was being completely unreasonable with things, you know, because she kept saying like case in point, they go to like the doctor for their son to check, like to check up on the heart. But they were also like, he was also taking like produce with him to try to sell to this like Korean market that's there. And like when they park, like he's bringing the box inside and she's like, why are you bringing that inside? Where the hell are you going to put it? Well, she didn't say hell, but she's like, where are you going to put that? And he's like, well, I I need to take it inside. It's too hot to leave it in the car. And then she's like, would you're putting those stupid plants before your son? And I'm like, those plants are going to provide money for you to live. <laughs> like, what are you talking? Like, that's going to provide money to pay for the doctor. Like, what are you talking about? And so then he like parks and he has to bring it in anyway. And she's like so mad at him for like trying to like make money to provide for the family. And I'm just like, I think you're looking at this totally wrong lady. And so I feel like that moment was this moment of like a shift in her character. You know what I mean? Like she blames herself for her mother's stroke. And then I think maybe in that moment, she kind of does realize like, wait a minute, like he, he's willing to go into a burning building and risk dying to pull these plants out or these produce, you know, this produce out to provide for us. Like how, 
how much more could he sacrifice before she realized that he actually is doing all of this for them, you know? And so, uh, I did think that, you know, that was important. And, um, I think there's a lot of great moments in this film. Like, like you said, the one with like the Dave or, uh, yeah, David and the grandma. I think there's a lot of really good moments between them. Um, and, and just overall, like it, it, ha- it has some moments that are like really heartwarming and, and really, you know, kind of a cute movie, but I don't know. It just wasn't enough in my opinion. And then we, we haven't talked about, about it much more than what you said is, uh, earlier, but Will Patton's character, uh, who uh, we, we were first introduced to him as he's dropping off the tractor that, uh, Jacob's going to use to farm. Uh, but he's like, Hey, you know, I don't, I just dropped this tractor off. Uh, it's not my normal job. If you have work for me, I would, I would love to do it. And he is also a veteran of the Korean war. So he knows about Korean culture and he, he likes being around Korean people apparently. Uh, he, so Jacob essentially hires him on as a, as a farmhand and he is very eccentric, like even to the point where the kids, uh, that go to school with David, like make fun of him, uh, from the bus. And it's, it's kind of sad, but you know, you, you understand, you know, what they're trying to get across with this character. Uh, what did you think of uh, the writing and the directing? Uh, so Lee Isaac Lee Isaac Chung, I I don't let's looking up his IMDb. Uh, I I don't recognize any of the other titles, so I, I have nothing else to go off of. But what did you what did you feel? Well, yeah. First, uh, I I just want to say that I I really liked Paul's character. You know what I mean? Um, it, to me, it felt kind of like he was really constantly trying to atone for whatever he had to do in the war. Um, and that that probably led him to the path that he was at, you know, like he doesn't go to church anymore. He like literally spends all Sunday just dragging around an actual crucifix, uh, like a full sized one, uh, right. which is obviously not an easy thing to do. So he, he definitely feels like he has some penance to pay. Um, and their dynamic together, I thought was really nice as well. Um, Again, I think from a writing and directing standpoint, you know, for me, I think you, you know, you commented on it. There is all these little elements of things that I I think are being attempted to communicate or or being attempted to utilize to create drama. Um, It just none of it was enough for me from what I was expecting. And, and I, I guess I just want to say it's, it's not that I'm saying this movie is bad. I still think this is a good movie. Um, it's just not anywhere near the dramatic strength that I was anticipating. Like, and just, and and some of that is probably on me because like, you know, listening to people talk about it and things like that. Like I had this kind of like preconceived idea that this was going to be a super heavy dramatic film. Um, And to me, it just wasn't. And I I think it could have been. I think it has a lot of potential to be that. I just don't think it ever pushes enough in one way or the other to make that happen. Um, The directing obviously worked out pretty well because uh, Steven Yeun is nominated for an Oscar or Academy Award for acting. And I believe this is actually the second time uh, that... um, Lee Isaac Chung has directed an actor or actress, however you want to say it, to uh, an Academy Award nomination. So I don't want to take anything away from that. You know what I mean? I I definitely think the performances were good and I enjoyed them. There was just like 
more story things that I just didn't, I don't know, just didn't resonate with me in the way that I guess maybe the attempt was there to do, or um, maybe there is a cultural thing on my end. Like maybe it would be more impactful if, you know, I knew more about Korean culture or something like that. But I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, so I have a little bit of that kind of connection to it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about it, I guess. Maybe that's not the best articulation of it, but I was just expecting more. But I, again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think. What I about think, you? I think you, you, uh, expressed it well. I think, I think you did a good job. Uh, I, like I said, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I, I, it was a lot more, I got a lot more from it than I expected I was going to. Um, I really, I really fell in love with these characters and, and the little bit of drama, I guess that was between the two or between the, the family and in the situation and stuff like that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching this film. Um, one of the things I wanted to sh- shout out, I guess, is in this uh, the trivia section of this says that the uh, the whole film was shot in twenty five days. All the scenes involving the creek were filmed in a single day, uh, and I think that's what four scenes or three scenes, give or take. Yeah, yeah, probably three or four. Uh, so that that was kind of cool. That's kind of cool to, to to think about. Um, what did you think of the filming? Uh, let's see who the cinematographer on this was. I mean, again, uh, I think it's a very, uh, I think it's a beautifully shot movie, right? Um, I think the production design and stuff is done really well, too. And I, I think that uh, the cinematography and the production design complement each other pretty well. Because, again, you're, you you do have that very kind of uh, rule type of, of vibe to it. I mean, it does feel very kind of isolated, Midwestern-y. And um, the locations are just in- incredible, though. There's even a couple of shots where uh, Jacob and uh, Paul were out by kind of like that shed moving the produce and there was like a visible storm coming in in the background and they managed to get a couple of shots of like the lightning and stuff that I thought was really nice. And um, the lighting as well, there's like a whole scene kind of toward the beginning where it's raining and, you know, uh, Jacob comes in and he's talking about the tornado and stuff and it the lights in the house go out and we're just getting this kind of blue washed moonlight that's coming in and uh, it, it was just a really nice effect so i mean yeah i think it visually i think it's a very beautiful film i think it's captured very very well um and it does kind of almost give it this weird ethereal type vibe as you're as you're watching a lot of it you know there's a shot where the camera was like mounted to the tractor that jacob was driving mm-hmm. and it's just kind of him floating through this farm and so yeah i i really do think it's a beautiful movie visually um and i think the acting is great too you know i i, I don't know i just feel like i said a bunch of stuff and i really don't want people to be like oh i'm not gonna watch it now or it's a terrible movie and it's like no 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 no, no. like you should still watch it it's a it's a good movie I just I was expecting something different. So uh, the cinematographer is Lachlan Milne. I believe that's how you say his last name. Uh, he notable. He's done a lot of shorts, but notably, he has been the director of photography for uh, several episodes of Stranger Things on Netflix. And oh, cool. and because of this movie, he has been nominated uh, for the Austin Film Critics Association, Broadcast Film Critics Association, Columbus Film Critics Association, Gold Derby Award, Houston Film Critics Associ- Society Awards uh, for Minari, Best Best Cinematographer, uh, as well as New Zealand, 
oh New Zealand he was he was the winner for Hunter of the Wilder People Hunt for the Wilder People was he oh that's a fantastic movie too I could totally see kind of the parallels between that too have you seen that I have not seen that oh you should check it out it's uh, that's a good little movie too okay uh so yeah anything else you want to say about this movie like I I I hope people don't not watch this movie because uh, I think you've pointed out that you do think it is a worth watch, uh, worthwhile watch, and uh, I am excited if to see what other people have to say about this movie and whether or not yeah. it wins. I mean, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like, I think at this point, I'm incredibly curious to see. I, I mean, obviously, we still have uh, Judah and the Black Messiah and the, the Father. Father. I think that's the last two that we kind of have left. So you know, we'll we talked to, a little bit. At, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say. So we'll have to, we'll have to do those two next week in one episode. So right, we'll have to do a, a double double a feature, double feature, so to speak. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but so you, I think you uh, refresh my memory a little bit. What what did you you picked? Promising young woman. You thought Correct. that was kind of your front runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did this change? your mind at all like do you see this edging that out now i don't see it edging it out uh did i enjoy this movie more than i liked promising young woman yes but i still think promising young woman's the better film okay yeah that, that was it i was just curious to see if there was any updates on that after watching this so i guess we'll have to report back in on the double feature if either one of those changed our minds either true <laughs> Uh, if you have an opinion on this movie or anything else we talked about, please find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-M, G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Richard, where can people find you online? So yeah, the easiest way to find me is just head on over to Rykoen.com, R-I-C-O-W-N.com. And uh, it should have linked to pretty much most of my socials on there that I'm, I, I'm not really, I don't know. I'm in a weird spot right now. I haven't had much time to be on any of the social media stuff, so... Uh, but do you know swing by and drop a follow because obviously once my time schedule stuff frees back up i'll i'll be back on there and uh, be a little bit more active so definitely interact with me on there tell me how wrong i am about minari <laughs> i don't think you're wrong i think you've you've expressed quite well how you feel about the movie and i don't see how that can be wrong um the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this project, sorry, of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekelitemedia.com. Uh, whatever podcast you use to listen to us, please rate and review us because it helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to... Geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. 